Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards. Thank you for joining me on this episode number 58. We're almost to 60. Can you believe it? it doesn't seem like I've been doing it that long and frankly it's it's well it's been about a year and a half. Not exactly, but about a year and a half that this program's been going and for those of you who have been regulars, I'm grateful for your involvement. For those of you who are just joining, we're glad to have you. And for those who have listened and have stopped, you're probably not listening to this anyway. So just know that the if, if you're rejoining us, the door is always open. We're glad to have you back. I know that, um, actually, I have a, a listener feedback from somebody I'm going to read today who did have to, have to drop out for a little while, it looks like, due to scheduling issues and where do you listen to the podcasts, but he's back with us, and I'm grateful for it because he, in times past, has contributed with listener feedback, and it's always been very insightful and educated feedback, so we're grateful to have him back, and I'll get to that in a, in a minute. Um. Anyway, I hope you are hanging in there with this this isolation, the sheltering in place. I think most places in America have something similar going on to what we have going here. So I'm in I'm in California. My family's back in northern Utah right now, and it's we we compare notes, and it seems like. Because California got hit earlier with it, I'm guessing. They started to shut things down earlier. But Utah wasn't very far behind. And now it seems like everybody's kind of shut down. And what a perfect time to listen to podcasts. Hopefully there's some sort of positive. If if you are one of those who has been hit either with health or somebody you love has been hit with health or it's been you've been hit economically... My, my heart goes out to you, as do my prayers. Um, I wish I was financially in a position that I could just start throwing money around helping people out. Unfortunately, I cannot do that. But um, may, may the good Lord be with you and, and bless you to make it through these, these tough times. Anyway, um, I did a little experience I had. I was in an airport recently. I wasn't personally flying. But the only other people who were there in the part where I was was a group of four Latter-day Saint female missionaries, one of whom was from Italy. I don't remember the town that she was from. And she was on her way home. Her father and her grandfather have the coronavirus and so, and, and, you know, we were, we were well-intentioned and said, hey, are they doing okay? And you can tell just by, you know, she doesn't know. She responded, I don't, I don't know if they're okay or not. And you could tell it was, it was affecting her greatly. And she was troubled by it. And we, we tried to strike the balance between showing genuine concern, but also not really drilling into a, a subject that was obviously hard for her to talk about. So... Anyway, I, I hope she's doing well, and I hope you all are doing well right now. So just know that my my genuine thoughts and feelings are, are with you, and and for whatever that's worth. Anyway, you join me today to maybe find out what in the world my the title of this episode means, the, the Clan Anrahan. And for those of you who are wondering why I pronounce it like that, my understanding is that that TH in, in Gaelic does not make a uh, sound like we use with with or even with then. Like the Welsh WD sounds like then and as opposed to the with TH. But um, in Gaelic, I, I, I believe you aspirate it completely. So you just breathe right past it. So rather than anrothan, it's more like anrahan or some, some form of that. In fact, I do... Before I start talking about who the descendants of Anrahan are, I would like to bring up um, the comments, the listener feedback from one person particularly. We're just going to focus on what he said. There have been others of you. By the way, if you had reached out to me on Facebook and um, 
shared something with me to read, which a few of you did, know that I'm I'm working on it. I I am reading it. I've I've tried to even at least get a a foothold in the literature that you sent me, and I will, as time permits, continue to to read further into that and complete it. And if your name is Dane Sawyer, thank you. <laughs> this is my, my buddy Dane. We used to be in the same unit together, and we would just nerd out whenever we got together to train on history when we had some downtime. And uh, I miss those days, sincerely. Anyway, my friend Dane reached out to me, and he shared a, a, uh, a link to an article on some DNA that affects the British Isles, and that would be probably very relevant to this. It's got a lot of very scientific language in it that I don't understand. So I'm trying to really deep reach into there and um, talk about where they come to their conclusions. And it may be the grounds for a future episode. Because I do think that some of you are very interested in the DNA and how that plays out. Especially when we compare what DNA tells us versus what the actual clan lore and traditional histories teach us and if they if they are um, if they concur with one another or if they they disagree with each other if there's a discrepancy there with what science is finding versus what the legends say because I know that both both have happened some people have been proven right and some people have been proven wrong so it's really interesting to study at that as it develops and as we understand who these clans are really coming from all right so back to the whole Am I pronouncing Anurhan correctly? I've got Neil King. Neil, thank you for, for getting back with me and and joining back into the podcast. We're glad to have you back. If you have been with us from the beginning, you'll recognize Neil King from comments that he's made earlier. He's very well read, and he seems to really like the subject. And it seems like his mind is actually in the exact same spot that my mind has been lately, and which I hope will be the the makings for some really good episodes in the future about research that I'm doing right now. Anyway, I'll tell you what that is after I read his comments because I think it'll lead into it very well. So he starts off by saying a few pronunciation hints for you. Sorry if other people have already done this elsewhere. No, they haven't, Neil. And so thank you for throwing this in there. The town of northern Scotland on the southern shore of the Murray Firth that is spelled E-L-G-I-N, he says it's a hard G. And I, I do remember talking about that, and I couldn't rem- I, I didn't know which way it went, and he says it's a hard G. So, Elgin, thank you, Neil. Next one. A kindred that I have pronounced their surname in the past as Lockhart. It's Lockhart. And I don't think I would have ever known that had... Neil not reached out to me with that correction, so thank you for that one. Fraser is not Fraser. It's Fraser. Like it's a phrase, like a a common saying, a phrase. And then er, Fraser. Now, if you live in Scotland, you probably are like, well, duh, I already knew this. But for the I think according to Podbean statistics, the bulk of my listeners are actually stateside. In which Neil King is not stateside. So, but I, I do believe that he's mentioned in previous um, comments that he is a Scot. So, anyway, he just knows some of these, how they say it back there. Also, one more one more clan here that I may have mispronounced in the, in the past. It's the, it's Galbraith is not Galbraith, it's Galbraith. The emphasis on the second syllable. So, thank you for that correction, because I know that I've struggled probably with every single one of them. That's why you reached out so kindly to me, and I appreciate that. All right. So, Neil goes on to say, Hi, Clint. I now have a regular slot in which I can listen to your podcast in peace, so I'm going right back to the beginning to listen to them in order. I see you don't have separate posts on Facebook for episodes one through six, so I'm going to comment on them here. No, I don't. And because they, I, I had them pre-recorded before I ever launched the podcast. I already had them on deck, ready to launch. So you, the first time somebody found them, they had six there to, to dive into while I was working on the next one. And that's why I don't have that. So episode one, 
like you, I live in a very remote place. The, he says the Azores. Azores. Azores, if, if we're speaking Spanish. I live in a very remote place, the Azores, where I can't go to a library. I also can't afford to buy every history book I'd like to. So yes, in that case, we have both been in a very similar situation. But also like you, I'd love to have a look at that Collins Encyclopedia of Clans that gets cited so reverentially in so many wiki articles on clans. I love the sarcasm there, Neil. To continue, just out of curiosity to see with my own eyes what appears to be the Rosetta Stone of the clans. <laughs> Although, I'm guessing it's more coffee table material than academically rigorous. All right, so as I'll mention in as you get to the sources episode, yes, this this does seem to be the gold standard by which all of those websites, to include Wikipedia, they they use this book as kind of the core of their own clan history, where they may and they may include some other things, but this seems to be, like he says in satire, the the Rosetta Stone. And the problem I had with this source, the Collins Encyclopedia uh, the Scot- Collins Encyclopedia of Scottish Clans and Families is the the authors of it have a lot more credentials than I do. A ton more. With that said, if you want to know every if you want to hear me break down every issue I have with it, it's not that I find that the right and left their information is incorrect. It's just the way it it's presented may may encourage the reader to have a a false over they they kind of paint all of the regions of Scotland with the same color. Does that make sense? So if your ancestors were um were Sinclairs from Caithness, you have the same you'll you'll look the same as the Armstrongs down on the border, who look the same as the Keiths over in Dunodder Castle on the east coast, in, cl- close to Aberdeen, and by close I'm using talking about regionally, who have the same who look the same as the MacDougals on the west coast of Scotland. It, it's just you you have the same image for all of them in your head. Anyway, so that's as that's as in depth into that as I'm going to go. But I I appreciate your sarcasm there, Neil. And yeah, that's that's forms a pretty important part of one of those episodes. So let me know when you get there and uh, how that how that works out for you. So skipping to his now to his uh, comment on episode three. He says, "I find the Dalriada into Alaba into Scotland transition." "Quote unquote the making of the kingdom, as it was memorably called in the title of a book I have here, absolutely fascinating. Yes, it's a fascinating topic, Neil. And Alex Wolf is one of the, the I think the Alex Wolf and David Brune. There's probably some other really good ones to read, but those are the two on that early stage and those transitional periods that I really recommend people go read their works." So he says, a side issue on that, which I find particularly interesting, is the role of Murray in this. I have the embryo of a theory that Murray was really an entirely separate kingdom from Alaba until its pretensions to independence were finally snuffed out by Alaba slash Scotland in the late 12th century, maybe even a little later. I'm thinking about the McWilliams and so on. I forget. However... The existence of Murray as a separate kingdom has been almost totally masked and forgotten uh, uh, forgotten about due to history being written by the victors. Anyway, that's a long intro to saying that, fascinating as this topic is in the macro history of the kingdom, I think it's of less interest in the micro history of individual clans. Whenever I'm reading a history of a clan, I glaze and skip over all the stuff about their supposed ancestors in the Dark Age and start paying attention only when we get to the first person of whom there is a contemporary historical record. The reason is we will never know whether any of this quote-unquote prehistory of a clan is true or not, and anyway, does it matter? By the time they reach the historical record, 
usually in the 13th to 15th centuries, occasionally the 12th. The clans are what they are and may have mutated considerably from their supposed origins. Another point. You were talking about someone having married an heiress and Cowell, Cowell, I think it's Cowell, guys, but there's another one I might need a little help with. You were talking about someone having married an heiress in Cowell, namely Anrahan. I once read, I think it's Campbell of Aird's History of the Campbells, that marriage to an heiress to explain origins is a common device among clans because it explains, it explains away how someone with no pedigree can suddenly appear as a landowner, but it's not actually true, or at least should be viewed with extreme suspicion. Okay, so <clears throat> that's funny that you would say that because I chose the topic of this to, of today's episode completely independent from this listener feedback, and so we're going to be getting into that a little bit. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Speaking of the heiress and Anurhan marrying an heiress and acquiring territory that way. Now, for those of you who have been with me through those three episodes I did on the clan versus the earldom of the same name, you will see that that, that is a, a pretty legitimate concept of a clan moving into previously un... you could say unowned territory, but even the ownership, like we've mentioned earlier, matters. It, it's, not, it's not in and of itself. Like a person, just because they owned a piece of land, and I'm talking about in the full heyday of the clans, could not just go in there and do whatever they want without a pretty firm backing by, by the kindreds, the local kindreds there. And so they would. there's got to be some recognition of legitimacy, and you have to have some kind of kin-based support. And I'm, and I'm using that. I'm not quoting John Bannerman there, the scholar, but I am using his language. And I am expressing ideas that, that he has talked about at length in Kinship, Church, and Culture. It's a book that I've got. It's a collection of essays that, that he wrote. That, that Scotland was indeed a kin-based culture. In fact, I have some... Um, I have something to get to on that, and I might do it maybe in the next episode because I don't want to make this one too long. But um, so a person a, that that uh, the concept of a, a clan moving into an area is is pretty legit. So you have Adam Gordon that marries the heiress to the earldom of Sutherland, and all of a sudden now you have that clan. The Gordons have a pretty influential foothold into that Sutherland territory. And actually the Sutherland clan, unlike the Earldom of Ross where the new guys inherit it, but they continue to have their own independent chief of the clan or head of their kindred. In the case of Adam Gordon coming in and the Gordons, successive Gordons who are a junior branch of the chiefs of the Earls of Huntley, they not only inherit the, the earldom, but the, the kindred who have come to identify themselves as Sutherlands adhere to the leadership of the Gordons. And so that's that's a pretty good, um, not, I wouldn't say precedent because it chronologically doesn't happen earlier, but it it's an example of the legitimacy of that kind of a concept. So the whole thing with, and he Neil here mentions the the source Campbell of Aird's History of the Campbells. That is something that I really, really want to get my hands on. But it's one of those books that it's way overpriced on Amazon. I just can't bring myself to. It's, it's kind of funny because I'll spend several hundred dollars on a nice rifle or, or more. I mean, you can crowd in that thousand mark which I have done. Don't do it often. I don't throw around money all the time, but I'll spend that much on a rifle But because I think it's worth it. Whereas on a book, I mean, you got New York Times bestsellers that may have a pretty influential impact on my life and I'll pick it up for 30 bucks or whatever. Yet, these ones that have doubled as textbooks are being sold for like a hundred bucks. I'm just like, I, I can't bring myself to do it. So anyway, um, yeah, that, so you mentioned that source. The Campbells are a good example of this because they claim that a lot of their 
territory that gained they gained in the Western Highlands was by marrying into the Odun family, or Odunia, and and so yes, could it have been used to explain away how somebody could come from nothing and end up being something? Yes, I'm not ruling that out. I am, but I'm also saying that that is a pretty legit thing that's happened with. It. Well, here's another example. How did the how did the McDonalds of Clan Ronald? acquire all the territory that used to be McRory territory. Now, keep in mind the McDonald's and the uh, McRory's are kin, but they did develop into different clans, independent of each other. <clears throat> so how'd they get all that McRory territory? Well, the McRory's were out of male heirs, and the heiress married good John of Isla, I don't know how good he was because he ends up kicking her to the curb after they've had a few kids together to marry a Stuart woman because the Stuarts are up and coming in Scotland. Anyway, felt like it, he traded up there. So, uh, but you have his descendants through her that acquire all of this McRory territory, which turned out to be pretty big. And the McDonald's of Clan Ronald were a major branch of the of the McDonald's. So. So I can, and I could probably, if I rambled on about this more, think of other examples of a clan coming into a lot more territory through a marriage. So that's that's a pretty legitimate part of history there. But I'm not I'm not saying that that Neil's wrong either in that it's never been used as a story to explain how they got a hold of all that territory. All right, so. Going back on something else that Neil mentions here that I've been thinking a lot about is this Murray deal. And so the the McAlpin dynasty that were to rule, they, at first they're styling themselves kings of the Picts, even though they're probably Gallic-speaking. Keep in mind, they probably, bloodline, were legitimately Picts. Now, keep, also keep in mind that the the ruling kindreds of Strathclyde, who were, who were Britons, they weren't Gales or Picts, and they spoke an, an old P-Celtic language related to what they were speaking in Wales at the time, probably very close. That, that, the, that ruling dynasty, the ruling dynasty of Dalriada, the ruling dynasty of the Picts, they're all intermarrying with each other. So to say somebody is of this blood or that blood doesn't make a ton of sense unless you're actually talking about DNA. But they were, they were all a mix of of these different groups of people. So, but the reason I bring that up is the McAlpin dynasty. So even though they were probably as much Pictish, at least as much Pictish as they were Scots, but they probably spoke Gaelic as there had been a, the cultural the cultural rise of the Gaels had begun earlier than this. At the same time, that royal family claims descent from Canel Navrain, or or the sons, the the seed, the offspring of Gabrain, and they were one of the ruling kindreds of Dalriada. But the, another very prominent ruling kindred of Dalriada was the Canel Lorne, and the and that is who the Mormares slash kings of Murray were claiming descent from was was the Canal Lorne who gave their name to the part of Scotland that is still called Lorne and the major clans in that area were the MacDougals the Stuarts of Appen um, Campbell's did get involved over there too so the, you have the Murray kings who were intermarried with the kings of Alaba, and he mentions, Neil mentions here the uh, the McWilliam Rebellion, and and then you have the it's usually spelled the MacHeths, but I believe that's an Anglicization of the Mackays, who are the who are tied in with the the ruling kindreds of Murray. So. What I'm interested in looking into is in studying and, and presenting to you guys when I get more answers to this is where are those kindreds now? Do the do the Macheths slash Mackays who are tied in here, do they become the Mackays of Strathnaver? 
are where do the McWilliams end up and and do they give birth to a kindred whose name is more familiar to us but who spring from the McWilliams be very I'd be very interested to uh to hunt that down and and to and to tie together the transition you know this what Neil says here the the going from Dalriada into Alaba into Scotland that's fascinating but it's also fascinating in that you have this huge territory to the north. Now, if you if you listen to David Brune, and he's got a couple couple of lectures on YouTube, really interesting, and I'll probably end up posting him on the Facebook group that I've created now, not the Facebook page. And I'll maybe post a link to the YouTube videos for David Brune in, in explaining what is actually meant by the kingdom of Alaba. It's not what now is considered Scotland. It's not even close. It was in a much smaller area. And it and it did not necessarily include Murray. So, which would have been based, um, you know, we mentioned the town Elgin earlier when we're talking about pronunciation. That that area over into Inverness would have been the heart of Murray. And then expanded outwards quite a bit to take in quite a lot of territory in the north of Scotland. So, Anyway, that's uh, that's some, some that's some stuff I really want to dive into, and especially see how that how that relates to the kindreds that come out of that area. One one kindred that comes into mind are the Brodies. If you read everything that I've ever seen on the Brodies, says that there have been Brodies there since there have been records there. So probably they're either coming out of the. Um, the Picts who already inhabited that area, or they're connected somehow with this ruling kindred of Murray, uh, maybe from a junior branch, but they've, they've been territory holders as long as anybody can, can trace back records there. So I, I think that's fascinating, and I actually do have Brodies in my family tree. You go back to some of those Scots-Irish frontiersmen. Uh, I got some uh, I got some Brodies back in there, so I do find that fascinating. So Neil, thank you for forming actually quite a big part of this episode. But I better get on to what people clicked on this episode for, and that is to talk a little bit about the sons of Anrahan. So Anrahan, first of all, let me tell you the um, the clans that tie into this story here. <coughs> Excuse me. Principally, the clans that tie into this would be the the Lamonts, the McSweens, the McLaughlins, and the McGilchrists. Also, and kind of secondarily, the McNeils of various branches, as well as the McIvers, the McSorleys, and anybody else. I think that's I think that's everybody I wanted to get to with that. And they're they're not mentioned as much that second group that I just I just named. Um, I'm reading so for this I've already posted my source for this. It's an article called "Family Origins in Cowell and Knapdale" by W. D. H. Seller, who I've quoted on this on this podcast before. And he's a, he was a scholar. I've posted this this. The, the origin of this article was found in Scottish Studies, Volume 15, um, published in Edinburgh in 1971. And this is W.D.H. Seller explaining why he actually gives cr- credence to the origin that these clans claim to have through Anrahan and the leading kindreds of Northern Ireland. And he actually makes a pretty strong argument why he accepts and and des- decides that these these traditional genealogies are not far fetched. And he and he does a lot of talking about his ideas versus um, William Skeen, who has wrote some really fundamental works on Scottish clans as well back in the eighteen hundreds. Okay, so. Oh, also, I should add to that list of kindreds who are affected by this, the Maclays of Argyllshire. Now, <clears throat> I'm just going to give you a brief layout of how this this group of people all tie together, okay? That's what I want to do for you. This clan cluster, I want you to see the Lamonts, the McSweens, the 
McLaughlins and the McGilchrists, how they tie together. Now, the other group of clans I've mentioned, like the McNeils, McIvers, McSorleys, and McLeys, how they tie into this is a lot more tenuous. I think I'm using that word correctly. It's it's not as strong. It's not as strong. But the Lamonts, let me let me let me talk about the individuals that these people come from, and I'll, we'll explain how they, they're all tying together here. So the traditional genealogy starts with Flavertach and Trosten. So uh, this Flavertach was an O'Neill. Now there's you're going to have to dive into this, and I don't have time to unpack this right now. But there's a difference between Enail, or the the kindred who descend from Neil the Nine Hostages, and O'Neill and MacNeil. Okay, they're not all just lumped into the same descendants of the same Neil. So, so, so just know that this Flavertach on Trosten was a a king of the Alech, or a, a part of the northern Enail territory. He was considered a king himself. He has a son, I Alavan, who has a son that is our Anrahan, who has another son named I Alan Anburche, who has a son named Don Sleva. And so the Anrahan, going back to him, he was a prince uh, he not uh, he didn't inherit the the territory the kingdom in Northern Ireland of the O'Neills, but W D H Seller here makes the argument that it may be that the O'Neills were out of power at this time, and we're talking about the 11th century. So and and it's really hard to find. A lot of other sources that dive into this Anrahan, and you have to, to dig out more information for him from about him. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is fading, but I, as long as you can still understand me, I'm going to keep going because I just want to knock this out. I gotta, I gotta take these precious moments when I have to sit down and record these. So, Anrahan, a leading, a member of this leading kindred of the O'Neills at a time when they may have been out of power. Now, there's another there's another kin group related to the O'Neills, the MacLachlans of Northern Ireland. Now, this is before the MacLachlans of Scotland get going. The O'Neills and the MacLachlans are kindred, but the MacLachlans may have been the dominant kindred at this time. And while they are not in power, Anrahan leaves for Scotland. Now keep in mind, and and then claim to have married a princess from the McAlpin dynasty. Keep in mind this would be several generations removed from Kenneth McAlpin. So, Anrahan, people think, well, did he really marry an heiress and inherit all this territory? He was, in his defense, and in defense of these genealogies and these legends, he was from a royal family of Northern Ireland. So for the for the king of Alaba, or Scotland, if it was called such at the time, which I, I think we're still talking about Alaba, for him to give his daughter to this Anrahan in marriage would not have been out of the ordinary or far-fetched because he's coming from a, a family of similar status, okay? <clears throat> Keep in mind that the Stuarts, did not make all of their daughters marry kings or up-and-coming heirs, princes of their kingdom. He, the, the, the daughters of the Stuarts married the prominent kindreds. Yes, the top level of society, true, but it wasn't necessarily the royalty. So the fact that a, a daughter of the, uh, the king of Alaba would marry Anrahan and possibly be given significant territory in connection with that that's that's not a far-fetched concept. All right, so, and now the problem with that that you might have to grapple with was, was that territory in territory that is is occupied by the 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 kingdom of the Isles, this this like a sub kingdom that owed allegiance to Norway, 
the kingdom that Summerled would soon conquer for himself. That was part of this Galgale, Scandinavian, Gallic island kingdom here, which was came to be inherited by the descendants of Summerled later on, or Sorla, if you want to use the Gallic. <clears throat> it seems like most of the territory that Anurhan and his descendants inherit or, or occupy is on the western coast, still on the mainland though. Okay, so keep that in mind. So it's looking like a pretty plausible story. And so Anurhan has a son, I Alan and Burcha, who has a son, Don Sleva. Now it's from Don Sleva that we start, start tying in our individual clan genealogies. Okay, so Don Sleva has, it looks like three sons, Sweenya, Ferker, and Gilchrist. Gilchrist meaning the, the servant or devotee of Christ. Now, Gilchrist in Seller's article, he may have been the son or the brother of Don Sleva. And, and to get more detail on this, just go to the Facebook group and click on the link that I've already posted there. Okay, so you got these three sons. Sweenya. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people have claimed that Sweenya is a variant of the word Svein and comes from a Scandinavian root. Thus, the McSweens were Scandinavians. Well, look, like I said before, whether they were descendants of the Scandinavians in the male line or if they weren't that, they were probably mixed because this is a part of the world where Scandinavians and Gales are mixing with each other, okay? So let's not get too wrapped around the axle. But when we're just talking about lingu linguistics here, Sweenya, that could totally be a, a, a completely Gallic name. In <clears throat> this book that I mentioned earlier by um, a collected, collected essays and studies by John W. M. Bannerman named Kinship, Church, and Culture, he goes into this time period in some of his articles, and you do see the name Sweenya pop up in among the Gales before the, the Vikings became a big deal. Okay, so Sweenya, spelled S-U-I-B-H-N-E, was already had among the Gales. They did not need to bring it from Svein, from the Scandinavians. Just a little note. Okay, so Sweenya, son of Donsleva, has a, at least a couple of sons for our purposes that are mentioned here. But Sweenya is probably the father, the namesake of the later McSweenies or McSweenies. Now, the McSweenies were tied to the McDougals at the time of this competition for the Kingdom of Scotland. And the McDougals were tied in with the Cummins by marriage. So the McSweens do not back Robert the Bruce. And I would say, it it, I would never be surprised, I have not read this, but on that ambush, was it the Pass of Brander? Where, I can't remember exactly what the name of the conflict was, where the McDougals ambush and already recently defeated Robert the Bruce, who's fleeing with a small handful of his most devoted followers, to include probably um, Angus Og McDonnell, to include probably, well, we've got James Douglas, but then also um, Neil Campbell. So they get ambushed. It would not surprise me if I ever found out that the McSweens are part of that McDougal force, force that, that ambushed. And so you can imagine how, how the McSweens made out when Robert the Bruce comes to power. Now, Robert the Bruce is coming to power in the early days of the Gallo Glass movement, where you have these clans that are of mixed Gale, Scandinavian descent, and some that really don't even have any connection to that at all, but that's where we get the name from pushing down into Ireland and hiring themselves out as mercenaries to Irish lords. And that's what the McSweenies did. And that's where you get the McSweenies, or the Sweenies in some cases, who have established themselves in Donegal and worked for the O'Donnells there in Tyrconnell. That's, so they become more of an Irish kindred because they, they lost big by backing the losing party. I won't say the wrong party, but the losing party in Scotland's contest for the kingdom. Okay. 
So there's there there you have the McSweens. In fact, the McSweens. Something interesting about them is they lay claim to having built the oldest stone castle in Scotland. Now there are many fortifications that date back way before this. But as far as stone castles, most of those come into Scotland with the Normans later on. The, the, the McSweens have that distinction of, it's, it's one of three of the oldest stone castles in Scotland, and that's Castle Sween. All right, and so Sweenya has a couple of sons, Dougal and Mulmura and Sparan. And he has a son named Merca. And and I don't have any clans that are that I have listed as descended from those those sons. The reason they're important is because they pop up in records as the son of the Sweeney, and it just helps us I pin down the Sweeney and, and make him more of a real person using the sons who are designated as his heirs and and taking his name, the McSween, and witnessing charters and obtaining territories and, and all that sort of thing. So another son of Don Sleva, who would be swinging his brother, is Ferker. Ferker has a son named Malcolm, or Milcolum, or that we call Malcolm, and he has a son named Laman. And from Laman we get the Lamont. The in in America we often say Lamont, but I believe the correct pronunciation is Lamont, which is closer to the original Gallic. I don't know where the T on the end comes from though. So if any of you know that. Go ahead and do like Neil King does and throw me a line there and, and help me out. So so that's so there you have two of these major kindreds. You have the the, the, the McSweens coming from Sweenya, the Lamonts coming from Sweeney's brother Ferker and, and taking their name from Ferker's grandson. And then you have the third brother, but also maybe uncle Gilchrist. And from a descendant of Gilchrist, and I don't, the, every generation was not lined out here in this article, but a descendant of Gilchrist was Lachlan Moore. Now, from Lachlan, you have Strath Lachlan, you have Castle Lachlan, um, and you, you have a lot of that territory around that area takes his name. He must have been kind of a big deal. And in, from him, his descendants took the name MacLachlan. All right, so there you have the origin of those three clans and then how they all tie together and are related to each other. Um, many members of the of this kindred descended from Don Sleva, or to go back a little bit farther, Anrahan, they intermarry quite a lot with the other highest level kindreds. And that's why Seller makes the argument that this group, that this group of people were... He, the term he uses is second to none in Galdom. They were they were viewed as as um, coming from at least coming from stock every bit as prestigious as anybody else did back then, and they were deemed worthy to marry into families like the McDonalds, the McDougals, the um, and probably I, I believe we have McRorys in here. So you have all the three major kindreds of Clan Sorla or Summerled. And probably marrying into the leading kindreds of Galloway. Now keep in mind that Galloway, this, we're not talking, when we talk about Galloway at this time period, we're not talking about a Highland, Highland and Isles versus Lowland split, which, which Galloway would have come to be maybe later on in Scotland's history. There are Lowlanders, we've got the Highlanders up there, and they do their thing, and we do our things here in the Lowlands. Back in this time period, Galloway would have been a continuum of the exact same culture found through the Isles and right down. In fact, if you look at a map, and I mentioned this when I was talking about the, the Galloglass, and, and as, as I think I was also talking about, it's mentioned in subsequent episodes, you take your, your finger and you run it right down through the Hebrides. If you keep, it forms kind of an arc that curves toward the southeast as, as, you, as it starts bending around, that arc will carry you right into Galloway. And they're all bound and connected by the sea. These are seafaring people. The sea is not an obstacle. It's a highway for these guys. Okay, so, the, so in addition to being married into the, the sons of Anrahan or Don Slaver, whichever one you want to start looking at, the reason they, they reached back to Anrahan is because he was the Irish 
prince who came from his O'Neill territory in Northern Ireland and inherited. He's the one that got this kindred established there. But they really start branching off from Don Sleva. Um, and this kindred was married into the leading kindreds of th these areas. And so that right there, Seller uses as an argument for their prestige and how they are viewed upon by these other clans and these, these heads of these other kindreds who deemed these people every bit worthy to marry their daughters and occupy territory in that same and operate in that same sphere that they are operating in. Okay. Now, just a short note on the McNeils. I, this whole idea actually started off as I was going to do a clan cluster on the McNeils. That turned out to be harder than, easier said than done, I should say. The McNeils, they, um, trying to trace them back, they claim descent from Don Sleva. Now, if they did descend from Don Sleva, they must have been a junior branch because they, they do not appear on the records as the, as the ancestors of the Lamonts, the, the McSweens, and the McLaughlins do from that similar time period. You don't really see anything about the McNeils. So, and we're talking about the McNeils of Barra, the McNeils of Gia, Colancy, um, Tyree maybe anyway there's there's many different branches of the McNeils and there's argument within the scholarly world and the rest of the world on you know the not so scholarly world on whether they are actually connected to each other or not and maybe I'll leave that up to you to really explore that but keep in mind when you bring information to me um, and you want me to present it on this the whole point is that it's either got to be pretty academically solid or the source does or we're going to we're going to talk about how not academically solid it is and and so it can't it has to be more substantial than well this one guy said well this this one guy and I'm not telling you that you got to have a PhD letters after your name to have any credibility because I don't but I try to reach back to people who do. But even then, I read books by Alastair Moffat. He's not a he's not a scholar. He's a journalist, and that's probably why his stuff is so easy to read, is because he comes from a background of telling people stuff that, in a way that makes them want to read it. And so, and I've talked about how it is to read academic stuff, and it's not that those scholars are incapable of writing in a way that we all would want to read it's it's their intended audience these scholars they, they're not writing to the average guy they're writing in an academic community and they know that they're going to have their ideas pressure tested by all the other scholars and that's how they have to write and unfortunately it doesn't lend itself to really easy reading it's it's brutal to be honest and you have to i i guess maybe not in every case but in, in a lot of cases you have to you have to really push through. You have to really be committed to the subject. And really, and, and it also helps if you have a really strong, already strong background in that. I have found that as I have dived in this farther and farther, it's easier for me to read those things because I'm understanding a little bit more of what they're talking about. But just just know that the difference there. And so, and I totally, I'm, I'm all over Alistair Moffat. I can't remember if Tim Clarkson who I've read a bunch of his stuff, if he's got a PhD or not. Um, if I were to find out right now that he doesn't, it really wouldn't affect how I feel about it. But he does have some credentials. So just know that, yeah, I, you, you, you guys listening, if you're from the McNeils and you wanted to hear this awesome stuff on the McNeils, and that's, I'm sorry, I don't have a lot to give you because I was diving into this and I could not find a lot of solid material that connected them back. Now, it doesn't mean I discount their claims to descend from Anurhan. I don't. I completely leave the door open to them, to that being true. But but like, what what do I bring up in this podcast episode? It, it doesn't leave me a lot of stuff to go on. All I saw was a lot of disagreement between people on whether the different branches of the McNeils are connected. And then from there, are they descended from or, or is one of them or more than one descended from Anurhan? To be honest, at this time, I don't know, and so I don't have a lot to present to you. And and that goes even more true for the McLeys, the 
McIvers, the McSorleys, those different kindreds. So it, go ahead and read read this article that I posted on the Scottish Clans group on Facebook. Um, I think that's all I've got now. Let me just wrap this up by saying that as as we go forward, I'm going to, if you want to make comments, make your comments on the Scottish Clans Facebook group, okay? So I'm going to be checking the messages back on the Facebook page less and less and the group more and more. Um, I'll, I'll, I haven't decided whether I'm going to post this episode on the Facebook page yet. I probably will, but I'll probably stop doing that in the future. So you might, might want to make that transition over to the Facebook group. And I will have a, some of you have said, hey, I can't find the Facebook group. And so I'll try to make sure that there is a link posted there in the page that'll take you right over to the group. Anything else? Please leave me feedback. I love your feedback. I love it. And uh, it, you can see today it formed quite a big part of our episode. So, but, but yeah, anyway, and it doesn't have to be completely academic. If you're brand new and you're just like, hey, I got a question. Sometimes that, those are the best questions. And sometimes I just take for granted that people know stuff. And so if I hit something in my episodes that is just way past, you're like, whoa, 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 back up to this point right here. Tell me where that is. And, and I would be happy to include that in a future episode. Um, yeah, but leave me feedback. Leave me feedback on the Facebook group. Let me f- Give me feedback on the Podbean, podbean.com or, or on the Apple Podcasts reviews. I'd love to hear your feedback on there. So, and then also one more favor, share this share this podcast with somebody that you think would just really enjoy this. Think about your neighbors and friends who have Scottish last names. Um, in fact, I just saw an, a YouTube channel by a professor who does Old Norse stuff. I was trying to figure out how to pronounce the best pronunciation for some of these Old Norse Viking names that you see pop up in Scottish history, like Rannell, the whole clan Rannell. Uh, that's a, that's originally a Scandinavian name. And I just want to know how to, the best pronunciation. I found this guy. His last name's Crawford. And I haven't heard back from him, but I did reach out and say, hey, I did an episode you might want to hear on the Crawfords recently and the earldom of Crawford and the difference between those two things. So anyway... Um, yeah, reach out to somebody who you think you think would be interested in this, and um, and share this share this Facebook episode, um, or or the whole podcast in general. More more episodes to come. I've got ideas, and they're just stacking up on each other. So please stay with me. And until the next time that we're together, Martian leave Andrasta. <laughs>